0: I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed, in the name of Allah the Gracious the Merciful. Peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the Breakfast Show the Voice of Islam with uh, um, yeah, myself, Walid Ahmed, and
1: Ali Khan. Ali Khan, It's been yes. a while. I, I actually had to ask you this morning the way into the studio because there's some construction going on outside and I couldn't find the entrance. Yes. But so I'm that shows how long I've been
0: there. <laughs> Yes, the construction is soon going to be over, and we'll be uh, viewing the or uh, observing the opening of the uh, of uh, of Path of the once again uh, in not too distant future. As far as today is concerned, we've got a pack show. Uh, the um, breakfast show is an interactive broadcast. It means that uh, our listeners have the opportunity to ring in share their views with us uh, the way to do that is to dial zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or you can use a more modern method of uh, Twitter and tweet us at voice of Islam UK uh, in a few minutes time we'll be uh, beginning with the rundown of the weather uh, and then examining some of the news stories that are circulating around in the wider media and uh, before honing in on two stories that have particularly caught our eye that we want to uh, spend more time on. Uh, The first is to do with discrimination, particularly when it comes to uh, Muslims and what is observed in the labour market. So the title of the first topic is Low Employment Rate of UK Muslims Due to Muslim Penalty. So it's a study that we picked up from one of the websites. Uh, We'll be discussing this subject with Faisal Atwal, uh, a student of Chinese and English. Uh, apparently is studying uh, uh, these languages at the Jean Moulin University in Lyon. Uh, we'll also be speaking to Rashida, who will be joining us later in this part of the program. Rashida hails from Morocco and has lived here in the UK before moving on to France. So if you're interested in this topic, low employment rate of UK Muslims due to Muslim penalty. And then please do make sure you're tuned in doing that part of uh, this broadcast between 7:30 and 8:15 moving on uh, to the second of our main topics um, uh, this is to do with uh, I suppose sleeping habits uh, apparently we're not programmed uh, to stay awake at night uh, yes turn to my youngsters who tend to stay up uh, till early hours in the morning playing uh, playing games <laughs> uh, video games and whatnot um, well, uh, this is a recent study in, uh, that's reported uh, to um, explain why the human mind is not designed to stay awake past midnight. And that is the title of our second uh, main topic. And to help uh, understand this uh, particular subject better, we spoke to Professor Sanjay Patel, uh, he's a director of sleep medicine at the University of Pittsburgh uh, and uh, also professor of medicine and translational science at uh, the University of uh, of Pittsburgh. So um, we'll uh, be hearing what he had to say uh, on this particular topic. So lots to do, lots to cover, and as always, we'll have uh, the Islamic perspective on everything that we discuss. As mentioned before, uh, we welcome listeners to call in and to share their thoughts uh, with uh, with us, uh, the number to dial is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight and uh, uh, if you want to you communicate with Twitter, then it is voice of islam u k so uh, with that i'll hand uh, the proceedings to Ali Khan. Uh, I like, <coughs> I like what I you
1: think. said well, alaikum salam, peace be with you. I like what you said earlier about um our teenage children, Yeah, I said it would be nice if we could uh, get our teenage children to, to tune in and listen to the segment, but unfortunately they're, they're, they're probably sleep. going to be asleep yeah. and, and, not, and uh, not be conscious enough to, to, to listen in. Now, we, um, um, I'm going to start with the uh, weather forecast. Um, you know, we've uh, seen a mixture of weather over the last couple of weeks. We've had a heat wave, we've had thunderstorms. Um, so let's have a look at what it's like for the for the next few days. The uh, bank holiday weekend is nearly upon us, and I'm sure people are looking uh, keen to know what the weather is going to be like. Today, the weather uh, in the southeast. Um, I'll, be, I'll provide a summary across the whole of the UK, but we've got patchy cloud, and showers will spread in from the west through today. The showers should remain confined to the north and west, with more sunny spells in the southeast. But it will be also be dry and sunny in the far north. Um, tomorrow we'll see a mix of patchy cloud and spells of sunshine. A few light showers may develop in places in the north and west in the afternoon but elsewhere it will remain dry. And the outlook for the rest of the bank holiday weekend, Sunday and Monday, is that Sunday will have patchy cloud and sunny spells but it will be cloudy in the north with a few showers developing at times. Monday will be mostly dry with variable amounts of cloud north and west will see sunny spells in the afternoon so you know generally speaking for for most uh, the bank holiday windows uh the w- bank holiday weekend seems to be a pleasant one a dry one
0: you think it's a barbecue weather still or temperatures w- are low i would
1: say so yeah? I, I would say I, I i i'm so keen on uh, doing barbecues that uh i i i think um
0: I've got, to, I've got to come to one of yours, yes. Uh, <laughs> I missed quite a few. Um, so there's no barbecue ban, is there, at the moment? There's host pipe ban, but no there's barbecue a, there's ban. There's
1: no barbecue ban. I think, there's a, I think in some places there would be a ban on portable barbecues. Um, oh, right. Just for the threat of wildfires. Mm. And uh, it, it seems um, surreal, actually, um, um, that we are worried about wildfires in the UK. I never thought that would be a thing. I always sat there and watched the news or looking at wildfires happening in America or happening in Australia mm. and thinking that's not something that we'd ever have to worry about ourselves.
0: Yeah. No, it's remarkable the way... I mean, that's climate change for you, isn't it? And um, I suppose it's a wake-up call. Uh, but uh, I don't think uh, people are heeding the warnings. Uh, we're continuing in the way that we are with uh, um, these... Um, gases that we seem to be accumulating mm. um, and um, yeah um, so it's something that we need to uh, we need to recalibrate the way that we are using the environment I heard
1: I heard uh, as, as uh, it's you know there's a, this argument I know this show is not about climate change but there's an argument to say that through innovation and science we should be able to reverse the effects of uh you know, de- re- refer- reverse the damage that we're doing to the environment and um, prevent global warning or at least mm. be able to scale it back. And one of the things I heard the other day was very interesting was is that if every single train was fitted with a device that sucked carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and every single train in the world, mm. we would be able to reduce global warming by two degrees by the end of the century.
0: So what is it? If every train what was if every train? If
1: every train in the developed world mm. carried a device that sucked carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere? Yes,
0: All right. Okay. That, that um. We so could- what's this magic device then? <laughs> hmm? That's that's. But I, you're right, because uh, there was something on the news about uh, certain uh, uh, plants that actually uh, uh, take in carbon mm. dioxide, absorb mm. carbon dioxide. Mm. Um, so yes, if the if greenhouse greenhouse gases can be uh, c- uh, can be curbed, then uh, yes. But uh, well, we haven't got to uh, we haven't been able to use that technology I mean, yet, have we?
1: Most most of the disasters, you know, pe- people ask this question that um, if there is no if there is a god, why is there suffering? I mean, most of the disasters and pr- problems that we see these days are man-made. Mm. So the solutions, really, we have we can find. Can also God. God has given man the ability to yeah. Yeah. To, to to also find mm. find solutions mm. to the problems they're creating themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so know.
0: so he's he's blessed us with that ingenuity. Yes. yes? Okay. As so. well.
1: As well as the ability to damage what we've been given and yes. ruin it.
0: Yes. And have <laughs> we done that so well? Yes. Unfortunately. Um, the the big news today is the uh, the announcement about the uh, energy uh, cap. That's supposed to be. Uh, uh we re- well supposed to be announced today the new energy cap has just been announced and uh it's come uh, well uh, the cap is three thousand five hundred forty nine a year so this was confirmed a few minutes ago uh and uh it's gonna be coming into effect in uh, on the first of october and remain until in place until the 31st of december when it will be adjusted again. Uh, So uh, previously, uh, Ofgem reviewed its prices every six months. Now it's doing it every three months. Uh, So Ofgem said that uh, apparently that um, the benefit of doing it every three months is that so it's supposed to provide more stability but uh, i think that if it's going to be announcing these kind of rises every uh, 3 months then it's going to cause uh, maybe stability but more anxiety uh, every 3 months when this announcement these kind of announcements are made and the this uh, the current cap before this announcement was made today uh, came into effect from the 1st of april and represented a hike of 54% from the, uh, from the previous figure. And uh, um, the rate that has been announced today is an increase uh, by about 80%, and it's the largest seen by consuming, uh, consumers yet. Um, if this is uh, bad, uh, uh, what is also predicted is that from January, so when the next announcement is made, uh, uh, households will be paying an average of four thousand pounds, and this will be an increase. This will increase to five thousand from July 2023. So it's all increases uh, throughout the course of this year and next year, as far as energy bills are concerned. And uh, there's a lot of angst, a lot of. Uh, uh, worry about um, how especially with uh, those households that are finding it difficult to make ends meet of how they're going to cope with these kind of rises. and there is a constituency, a growing constituency now uh, of people who are saying that they're simply not going to pay because they can't pay um, so we don't know what's going to happen uh, then the government needs to intervene but uh, unfortunately there is a, a bit of a uh, well, uh, because of the uh, the uh, election that is taking place, uh, there is a paralysis, uh, and, and uh, this is uh, not helping matters at all.
1: I, I had an interview uh, yesterday where one government minister was a- accused by the uh, reporter of there being a complete vacuum mm. in government at the moment. You know, the the prime minister is absent without leave," said the reporter. Um, some of the la- biggest bigger figures in government are away on holiday, and um, putting that aside, because you know we have to, we should deal with facts. You've got a situation where you've got the two leadership candidates going hammer and tongs against each other, and their supporters in government—they have supporters. They've obviously had to choose sides as well, and that's become the focus for this mm. whole summer. And the argument was, well, ministers are still at work, Whitehall is still at work. There's still work going on in government. But of course, at a time like this, the British public they want to see leadership. They want to see the they want to see the leaders, and those cabinet they, they want to see cabinet ministers standing up and saying, "This is what's mm. what we're doing." One of the que- one of the things that I think I I've, I think a lot of people will find quite supply um, surprising, is. That these rises in energy prices and this issue with the price cap it's you know you would normally think that it's your energy supplier that's responsible for putting the price up and they're the ones whose profits will increase as a result but the thing that I I've, I struggle I struggle to get my head round is actually the reason why the price cap is having to be put up is to make sure that the energy suppliers don't go, out of business. Now, mm. I d- I don't know how much you know about the energy market because it, it's something I don't understand. How can we have a situation in any market where the the main supplier mm. is struggling to stop from themselves from going out of the business, but the but the company that is taking the energy from the ground or from the oil field or from the sea mm. are making so much money that they don't know what to do with it.
0: Mm. No, it's it's, uh, it's an anomaly, isn't it? It's very strange that the way things are, are developing or the way that the system works, and there is a lot of uh, consternation about it uh, because we're told that the steep rise uh, in uh, these prices due to uh, uh, supply and demand in the wholesale market. Mm. And that is what uh, governs the price uh, that uh, uh, companies like Shell and Centrica, who actually Get mm. the uh, gas, uh, the energy from its uh, natural source. Mm. Um, that is the price that they uh, sell it to the suppliers. The suppliers who are going to go bust if they if Ofgem doesn't raise the cap. Mm. Um, so this system is something that is being very very, very much criticised. That this should not be the case. And uh, the other issue is that. Um, If uh, we have nationalization, like what's happened in France uh, with EDF, Mm. that they have nationalized uh, their equivalent of um, EDF and Centrica, Mm. then uh, this uh, price rise sting... Would not be uh, would not be something that would be suffered or would be imposed upon upon suppliers. In fact, uh, the energy prices can be can remain. In France, it's four percent. The rise is just four percent. Wow, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, four percent, and uh, here it's around. Uh, well, as I'm saying, it's a eighty percent hike, mm. and eighty percent hike in. And um, uh, in, in each well, from each quarter, something like that. But and the well, other, we s- might
1: actually get migrant boats going from here to France instead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, we could. And yes. we can go there the yeah, asylum.
0: Yeah. So that's that, that's un. It's unfortunate. I mean, the system we have is unfortunate. It's probably partly to do with uh, with uh, privatization, mm. and uh, I think there there is there are calls, but muted calls for re-nationalisation. To nationalising um, our um, energy, energy totally, so that we don't have these middlemen. But they are raking in a lot, a lot of profits. I mean, Shell and uh, Centrica, what was it, uh, billions in uh, in just six months? It's yeah. huge profits, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they don't know what to do with it either.
1: There's a video on my YouTube timeline that I I'm, I want I want to watch soon. It's it's basically how are the energy giants spending their profits? I'm looking forward <laughs> to watching that video because, you know, I want to want to understand it. The implication is is that they should be investing that into green energy yes. now to help this whole yeah,
0: yeah. so uh, apparently the windfall tax is mm. also something that um, they will exp- uh, they will es- uh, energy companies will escape the windfall tax on uh, those amounts that they invest in uh, in new energy and uh, mm. um, so uh, it is an incentive for them. But um, um, they are generating huge profits for their uh, shareholders, and that's something that's uh, causing uh, mm-hmm. a bit of disquiet. Um, so the existing system, it mm-hmm. seems to be, is rewarding the rich mm-hmm. and oppressing the poor. I where, don't know if that, that's. Where, the,
1: where have I heard that before? Yeah,
0: but that, that's what it's. Uh, that's what it looks like. Yeah. I'm. Mean, I was um,
1: trying trying to exp- you know uh, explain it to um, my children as well that, you know, we we sit here and we talk about this. Uh, at a global level, we talk about it, and from the media perspective, we talk about it from the energy companies what the government is doing. But on, on a practical level, on the ground, you know, I, on a day-to-day basis, um, people who would have norm- not considered themselves near the poverty line because they had a disposable income of two to three to four to five hundred pounds a month before that was their comfort. Zone. I mean, that's disposable
0: income—what um, that they they could save and they could put on the side. That they save. Okay.
1: Or, or that they could use to. I mean, you know, generally speaking, you know, the average salary in the UK, um, somewhere between thirty and forty thousand pounds a year. People who are on fifty or sixty thousand pounds a year would consider themselves to be relatively comfortable. Mm. They would have this buffer of four to five hundred pounds a month. It's now costing if you if you're using two 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 tanks of petrol a month it's costing you 100 pounds more in mm. fuel. Mm. Your electricity and gas bill is costing you two to 300 pounds more a month. And your grocery bill is now costing you at least a quarter more than yeah. before. Yeah. So what we're seeing is, is that those who would be considered relatively comfortable are now going to mm. be making choices mm. on a day-to-day mm. basis about what yeah. they can or can't yeah. do. And I find that astonishing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it is it's a crisis and uh, this is why there's a lot of, um, well, it's causing some alarm in uh, many circles because the government is, uh, is paralysed, as I said. But to be fair on the government, I think that um, what they are saying is that it's difficult for them to make any decisions until the new prime minister comes in. And it wouldn't be fair on the new prime minister to make any firm decisions, that's what they're doing. But what uh, they have said is that uh, we have that, uh, I mean, court hang, uh, mm. and the, the current Chancellor, Mr. Zahavi, has said that there are, Kwasi uh, Kwarteng mentioned is because he's mooted to be the uh, the next uh, Chancellor if trust wins. But uh, the current Chancellor, Mr. Zahavi, has said that there are plans that they have uh, fi- finalized uh, various options that are on the table that they have looked at which uh, the new Prime Minister, when he or she comes yeah. in, can look at and then uh, decide on uh, how best to assist and help people but, but, I mean, Liz, on the Liz, lower end.
1: Liz Trust was setting a stall out very clearly that sh- her policies did not involve awarding any sort of handout and she yeah. was going to prioritise tax cuts yeah. which would not benefit someone that's on no. the lowest income.
0: Or pensioners, for that or matter. Pensioners. Yeah, you're right. And uh, so, th- but, but in addition to that, they mm. are going to be, but she did say that nothing is ruled out as mm. far as additional measures are concerned. Mm. Uh, whereas uh, uh, I think her rival has uh, made more definitive plans mm. and uh, announced more definitive mm. plans as to what he would do. And they, they're they very much like um, in the Rishi Sunak. Uh, um, you know book book mm. of operating mm. uh, like he did with the uh, with the covid crisis and uh, yes any handouts
1: any predictions from you on the outcome of the
0: of the leadership but it is very much being decided by uh, conservative voters yeah and sorry conservative members not voters mm. uh, and uh, the uh, there is a very strong um, leaning among them for for the female in this contest
1: do you think it's just because she's a female and it reminds them of Margaret Thatcher or do you think that it's policy? Because what I find really quite surprising or interesting, I think, with my limited knowledge, is that Rishi Sunak seems to be, through his policies, trying to appeal to the British voters at large and Liz Truss, because he's going to have to go up against Keir Starmer and Liz Truss seems to be just trying to appeal to the Tory membership Mm. with the policies.
0: Mm. Well, it's difficult to uh, voice your opinion on on a radio station, which is supposed to be impartial. (laughs) But uh, um, uh, it is very clear that Mm. among uh, the uh, the MPs, uh, Rishi Sunak is considered to be much more capable Mm. uh, of uh, uh, that role as Prime Minister, as as opposed to Liz Truss. But uh, there's also a question about uh, uh, the fact that the membership mm. is not at this moment ready to accept uh, a leader from the ethnic minorities. Uh, mm. And that may be playing on the minds of those people who are going to be voting the Conservative membership. Mm. And that that is perhaps also a factor.
1: Do you think that the UK public at large is ready to vote? a Prime Minister in
0: I th- ethnic minority? I, I, yeah, the UK, uh, <laughs> it depends which area you're talking about, but I think generally the yeah. UK uh, is uh, far more accommodating yes. now of uh, ethnic minorities yes. um, than perhaps the Conservative membership is. And also I think that uh, times have changed remarkably uh, uh, over the past few decades. Yes. And there's a far greater acceptance of people of different um, backgrounds than there used to be when I was young, at your age. Right? <laughs> 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 I'm
1: not that far behind you. <laughs> and, and,
0: uh, uh, and yes, the, the kind of prejudice that we had to suffer uh, was, uh, you know, light years away mm. to the way that uh, this society has improved, I think, uh, has changed for the better. Mm. And that's a good thing. But it, you know, these kind of... Um, prejudice is to, to uh, wring them out uh, from uh, society, these kind of attitudes. It does take time. Uh, we are in the right direction, but I think that uh, there may be some uh, credence in uh, this uh, supposition that perhaps the Conservative membership is not ready mm-hmm. because of somebody who is from a different ethnic background. Background. Mm-hmm. So there may be some truth in it, but uh, it's surprising, uh, and also it is interesting to know that in all, in the polls that were carried out, while the election was going on, uh, pitting Rishi Sunak against other uh, potential rivals, mm-hmm. he always failed when it came to the conservative uh, membership. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is thought that that's because of his ethnicity.
1: Mm. Well, it's a it's a slightly relevant conversation because after we do finish wrapping up the news, is something we're going to be talking about um, in terms of um, Islamophobia in the workplace. But it's interesting that you know, the 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 British government seems to have been a more representative place <laughs> than many workplaces mm. at a senior level. Yeah,
0: you know, in the, in yes.
1: which is which is which is
0: interesting. So you're talking about cabinet, and you're talking cabinet, about, uh,
1: London mayor. Yeah. Um, yes.
0: Yeah. No, no, it's, it's a remarkable change, and it's a change for the better because yes. I think that um, you know um, um, positions and these kind of responsibilities have to be uh, uh, given and on merit, mm. uh, and. Uh, uh, to be devoid of prejudice and so um, it's, a, it's it's a move in the right direction it's good to see
1: i've been scouring through the the newspapers just to find stories that are not regarding the energy bill crisis you know the the, the um, headline in the times was just confirming what you were talking earlier about saying that now even uh, liz truss is planning a big package to help with energy bills and that, that seems to have been you know being briefed uh-huh. That mistrust has accepted that the energy crisis will define her premiership if she becomes the next prime minister. The Tory leadership candidate has held talks with the business secretary, her prospective chancellor, as you said, and mm-hmm. other uh, senior members of the team about a big package of help. The other the other headline that I've seen in a few other newspapers is this thing about um, the GCSE results. And, and again, quoting the Times London and the South East have pulled further ahead of the rest of the country in terms of GCSE grades yesterday due to the dismay of social mobility campaigners. About a third of GCSEs awarded in the capital were at least seven or uh, eight or nines compared with a quarter or less in the Midlands and the North. The gap has widened during the pandemic. Um, Henry Merson, chief executive of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, said the North faced a triple whammy, including existing long-term disadvantages, Um, learning loss during COVID um, and the failures in the catch-up and the national tutoring program. Mm -hmm. So this is all about the results uh, that we've seen, that the gap, this is further widening the gap between um, the Southeast and everywhere else. Mm. It's a tough one.
0: Yeah. It's a tough one. Do you remember your GCSE? they are they are they getting easier now? Do you
2: think?
1: You know, you know the thing is, we, you know, you said you very uh, kindly referred to me as a youngster earlier, but actually, I find myself now reflecting on the good old days, and and I have very of the mm-hmm. <laughs> same mannerisms that you know people are uh, older people are are uh, stereotyped with, and for me, I will always think back to my youth as being um, tougher or harder. Mm. and uh, the, you know the good old days
0: <laughs> it was even it was, <laughs> you know yeah it was tougher in, it, more tougher in my day but yeah 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 yeah. because uh, I, I think one of the ch- I think one of the criticisms that is sometimes leveled is that uh, GCSEs and A levels have become easier because um, that's why uh, students tend to get higher grades uh, than uh, mm. what was recorded in the past but I think that uh, uh, teaching has changed a lot yeah uh, the kind of support that uh, that teachers give to their students, um, and the um, input that they leveled was not yeah. was not there in my day. I'm afraid, right? Um, um, lessons were basically taught, and it basic, and uh, you either uh, sunk or you swam.
1: And the, uh, the support around learning difficulties and things like dyslexia, yeah, you were yeah. categorized just as being stupid in those days. But nowadays, mm. it's, your, it's 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 identified earlier, undiagnosed, you're given extra support, mm. we have uh, special educational needs specialists uh, and uh, ass- assistants, sc- you know, uh, mm. in schools. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and plus,
0: the means by which uh, teaching is actually imparted has changed. It's, yeah. I mean, in my day, it was blackboard. Blackboard and note-taking, basically, yeah. exercise work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now you've got so many different ways mm. and that um, uh, helps... Uh, People mm-hmm. to understand. Mm-hmm. So, th- um,
1: I, mean, I don't know the exact figures, but you, you know, there, there, there's a, invariably you're going to get a difference because the southeast will have a higher concentration of private schools, grammar schools. Um, you know, that that's going to skew the figures as well. It says here results in the northeast were the joint lowest with the northwest at twenty two point four percent. Although the northeast had the second biggest growth from twenty nineteen of six percentage points. Um, Schools northeast, a network led by a head teacher, said government policy has failed to recognise the unequal impact of the pandemic, especially in the north. James Cleverly, the education secretary, said students receiving their results should be extremely proud. These results are a testament to the resilience of both of our students and staff. I mean, I I did notice myself a disparity. I mean, we li- obviously I live in the southeast, a disparity between the level of support and the quality of education and innovation that was used during the pandemic across different schools. I felt that my children's my uh, school and my teenage daughter's school, I felt in particular, it was very poor. And when comparing it to other schools, I could see that they were going to a greater effort or they were able to provide students with more support. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, and, and those inequalities were just based on, um, not factors to do with um, wealth, or how much resources the school had, it just came to sometimes how the the quality of the leadership team and their ability to respond
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and quickly and mm-hmm. and their ability to, to to facilitate remote learning and and so on and so forth.
0: Do you think that, that that disparity also exists between the north and south? That there is, or is it is it just a question of resources that the north is deprived of the kind of resources that the south has?
1: look coming coming from the north my, myself, where i, I was- I'm originally from the north, but i I've, I've now live in the south, um it's it's clear it's there's more wealth in the south um and there's more foreign there's more foreign investment and foreign wealth in the south as well. I mean, just for example, near where I live, there's private schools that are full of um Russian, Chinese and Indian kids um who are from wealthy backgrounds. That That in itself creates a little bit of a disparity. then you've got you know you've got all of the wealth of the city and the financial sector and the inevitable spill out into the suburbs of london that that has So mm-hmm. there will always be a bit of disparity between the southeast and everywhere else I mean, I'm sure again, I haven't seen the figures, but I'm sure that you will find that in most countries in the world where there'll be around the, around the capital city around the the financial mm-hmm. hub of the country you'll you'll find that there's a concentration of wealth is there generally a north i think the quality of living in many parts of the north uh, is actually still very very good and people mm-hmm. people do well i mean if you look at the south west for example cornwall there's 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 a huge poverty. there's a huge gap between the rich and the poor there you've got mm-hmm. a lot of wealth in terms of a lot of people with second homes and third homes and mm-hmm. there's a lot of wealth there. But there's a huge amount of poverty there. There's a there's a lot of issues in terms of education and employment and and skills and brain drain, where most most of the young talent and and, and the young minds mm-hmm. they end up they, they end up moving out of the area.
0: So, so would you, does that disparity in wealth translate into the kind of resources that schools have, or schools employ uh, for their teaching? Or is it just the case that the the quality of the students, uh, as a result of their wealth, um, it, ch- it changes, or, or there is a disparity in the quality of the students themselves uh, due to the wealth?
1: I think I think areas that are not um, that are poorer, I think the children don't get the same opportunities. You know, the 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 social. You know, having a local, a lower social socio-economic status, deprives you of the same opportunity. Mm. It, it just does. Your your you know, it def, it, it deprives you of a, even of a quality of parenting because, however genuine and sincere your parents might may or may not be, if they're both at work, mm. all all day because they have to work to pay the bills, they're not able to, they're not they're not able to give you that time and attention. You're left to your own devices a lot more. Mm. That's on the one flip side. And then, yeah, I think um, that health, healthcare, education, I think um, there is a disparity. There is an inequality.
0: But i tell you, living outside London is a lot calmer. Don't (laughs) you find that? Yeah. Yes? Yes. There is a certain uh, tension, anxiety that you feel when you're living Mm. in the capital that you don't find. uh, And I would have thought that that kind of uh, feeling and that kind of a sense would uh, would be better for for mm. learning but it doesn't seem to be the case or the other factors that are more overpowering yeah
1: i mean the, the, the there aren't the jobs there aren't as many jobs opportunities mm. sometimes in those areas the income earning opportunities are lower um and uh, yeah the quality of services infrastructure transport these are all arguments that um that the leveling up agenda yeah. was meant to address
0: Yes, certainly. Anyway, we have to move on. Okay. And uh, we have to look at uh, the first of our main stories. Um, What's it about? It's about.
1: uh, So, the the gist of the story is that in the uh, United. A study in the United Kingdom um, has found that despite being highly qualified, high unemployment rates of Muslims in Britain are not due to cultural and religious practices and that is the victim is not to blame Mm -hmm. Um, and and this study has has found so it's not due to cultural and religious practices and this study has found it was published in the peer-reviewed Ethnic and Racial Studies Journal confirming previous findings of a Muslim penalty in the British labour market It also showed that being white is not a protection from the Muslim penalty and that non-Muslims perceived to be Muslims also suffered from the discrimination. So, importantly, the study found that Muslims continue to be penalized considerably even after adjusting for the so-called social-cultural attitudes, rejecting the widespread assumption that Muslims are to blame for being discriminated against in the job market due to their cultural and religious practices. The study found that both Muslim women and men had a significantly higher probability of unemployment compared to their white Christian counterparts. Samir Sweda Metwali, a doctoral researcher at the University of Bristol who carried out the research supported by the Economic and Social Research Council told The Guardian newspaper that the findings offer evidence against the view that Muslims' poor employment outcomes in Britain are due to their so-called Socio-cultural attitudes in challenging this narrative which problem problematizes Muslims and their faith the student lends support the study lends support to the overwhelming evidence from field experiments that shows anti-Muslim discrimination towards Muslims and those to perceived to be Muslim to be a significant barrier to them accessing work you know I, I find this really interesting because when I, when I was thinking about this story um, last night hmm. I, was, I was trying to categorize it with my own experience um and 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 for me, my own experience, one of the reasons why i I left the job market and I was very fortunate to be able to set up my own business is that in the organization that I was working in I'd been working there for many years i i i I hit a glass ceiling, and i my perception or my experience was that the reason why I hit that glass ceiling is that I was not able to socialize with the senior leadership team or the directors in the way that was common.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: there was um, the culture within that organization was very heavily based around alcohol hugely mm-hmm. hugely more so in many um, in, in a lot of organizations
0: What's the industry you worked in marketing
1: no 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 it was it was it was the education industry okay. it was the education industry and skills industry but it was um, around hospitality it was around hospitality and obviously a lot of people who worked in the hospitality sector you know um mm-hmm have that they have that culture but I think that this is commonplace I mean if we look at the whole party gate um, right. phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, the, the allegations of of partying by the government within the government during the pandemic I think the the the, the I think when it comes down to it, even the intelligent conversation um has been about what well, once it boils down to the need you know the the prevalence of alcohol in the workplace Mm. and the do is it is how much is it needed how much are are people not over reliant on on alcohol in the workplace as a way to reward as a way to reward your staff as a way to relax as a way to to build teams Mm, team building Mm. and for me it was you know for me the barrier was that well if you're not um if you're very outwardly um, uh, you know, someone that doesn't get involved in those work events uh, whatsoever, and you know, it's you because of your faith. You're making it very clear that you don't, you don't take part in those gatherings. Because um, some people, you know, th- some people unfortunately will, we've seen this. They will um, take to take to uh, trying to um, integrate too much. And they'll mm-hmm. start drinking themselves, you know. We'll see that some will uh, still refrain from drinking, um, but they will still take part in the gathering and try to still be or feel part of that. And I'm not. And you know, this is the same as in the workplace. This is also the same <coughs> with our children growing up and trying to integrate in society. Some will keep away completely from um, from negative influences, perceived negative influences of. Drugs and alcohol taking. Some will say, "Well, I don't want to be an outsider. I want to be in that social circle." But what I'll try and do is I'll try and stick to my principles and not partake in the things that I'm I'm not meant to do or don't want to do. But I'll be around that circle. And some will say, "Well, you know what? If I don't want to be, um, my belief system means I cannot even be around those people Mm. that are that are drinking alcohol or taking drugs or whatever. So I'm actually going to do whatever I can to keep." to keep away from them and Mm. to keep better company. I'm talking about from the perspective of of a Muslim. And and that ultimately, surely in the workplace, that will be a determining factor. But this study seems to suggest that actually, that's not the big issue. The big issue Mm. is if you appear to be a Muslim, you will be discriminated against anyway, Mm -hmm. irrespective of whether you're taking part and and trying to culturally normalize yourself Mm. and, and, and integrate. Mm. or not which I find Mm. quite interesting Mm.
0: Um, because
1: my experience is had I I started drinking and been involved in those that a culture of alcohol I would have been accepted and I would have been promoted that was my perception Mm because I felt I felt like I was accepted generally Mm. I didn't feel like there was Islamophobia in my organization I felt it was more cultural
0: no but do you do you think that that's something that also is on the way in uh, there is more tolerance of people with uh, different cultural values. I mean, uh, we seeing I was more prayer rooms of, in the workplace. Well, I was thinking of uh, sports in particular, yeah. And the fact that uh, uh, Liverpool look, my my children are football mad, but Liverpool, the fact that Liverpool um, were not uh, throwing around sh- champagne out of respect for Mo Salah, who's a Muslim who wouldn't drink alcohol. Uh, yeah. or, or Saudi Mane and when
1: players were fasting yes there was a great coverage of people of them opening their fast on the side and, and managers talking about how inspired they were by yes. their players abilities to still yes. play
0: so don't I you think know, that uh, that so are you saying that that kind of tolerance and acceptance mm. is not found in the industry that you were working in and that is perhaps why it was necessary. I to think leave.
1: society. I think it's a it's a good point. I think we should continue discussing it afterwards because we've our guest, uh, one of our guests, is on hold. Okay. But, so, but I'd like to come back to that, and it'll give me it'll give me a few minutes to think about the answer as well.
0: Okay. <laughs> Let's talk to Fizza then. Yeah. What do you?
1: Okay, so uh, Fizza Zahid Atwal is a is from Lyon in France. We were talking about France earlier, um, mm. being a great place to live now with the energy prices not being as bad there. And currently studying languages, English and Chinese at university. Um, and uh, she's also a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and part of our uh Wakf-i-Nor scheme, which is a scheme where you are dedicating your... Uh, life mm-hmm. to the service of the community in the longer term. Um, Fizza, uh, assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. It's great to speak to you. Welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome to the Breakfast Show. Wa
3: Islam.
1: So, as someone who has lived and studied in France, um, you know, f- we know that France has hit the headlines for uh, Islamophobia with, with what's been ho- going on with their the head, headscarf. So, as someone that's lived there, what sorts of discrimination have you observed? And what sort of discrimination exists in the workplace?
3: The discrimination based on cultural minority as an Ahmadi Muslim girl, I observed that if you wear hijab, the first question people tend to ask is, "So you wear hijab? That you will have difficulty getting a job? Can you take off your hijab? You can't work with hijab. They seem to close all the door, even you." if you have higher education, either in the private or public sector. And there are many sorts of discrimination which exist in the workplace, like the origin, the color of their skin, their age, their nationality, or experience discrimination and more other. French national of ethnic origin or ethnic are often discriminated against in hiring process, and in France, women are paid less than men. They are promoted less often within an organization. And people of a certain age often have difficulty getting hired.
1: So this is, uh, you've, you've, you've uh, been very clear that this is a um, huge problem. Does, does, this, does this not, does this concept, does this not contradict French Republican um,
3: values? Uh, the concepts of laïcité can be defined as neutrality of the state or religious beliefs and the complete evolution of religious and public sphere. According to concepts of laïcité, the French state and government do not take a position on any religion or religious belief. They can only speak on religion subjects when considering the practical consequences of the beliefs and practice of a religion on the life of its citizens.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It also means that there can be no interference by any religion in the functioning of government equal it also means that there can be no interference by government in the religious life of its citizen or in the form of religion to which they adhere. However, it is contradictory because on the one hand, you say you do not wish to interfere in people's religion, but you are directly enforcing women to stop dressing as they please and according to their faith.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for explaining that concept of Lesite. I, I wasn't actually aware what that actually was. So I really um, appreciate you doing that. Do you, do you feel that there is a change occurring in government and that people are changing their attitudes um to Islamophobia in, uh, in 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 France, uh,
3: the French unemployment rate currently stands at seven point one percent, and unemployment in France is higher among the under twenty seven age group, as there has been growth of flexible and permanent work contracts in recent years. Uh, the French government announced plans to introduce courts. On migrant workers to control the workforce in certain industries, this will affect migrants from outside the EU EFTA who usually need to work visa to work in France. Muslim and immigrants have both been subjected to negative attitude over the past several years. There have been many reported cases of workplace Islamic discrimination against individuals. French law indicates two main guidelines regarding religion and employment. The first one is the protections of individuals, indicate that one religious belief must not disturb the functioning of the workplace, mm-hmm. including view recording hygiene and safety requirements. And the second one is the proper functioning of the fund, highlight that religion must never interfere with performance or one relationship with work
1: okay no and, and what more do you think can be done uh, and what more do you think we need to do uh to stimulate this to stimulate a change that's necessary
3: as muslim we have to change their point of view we have to prove to them that even when i wear my hijab i can be successfully muslim woman that can not only contribute positively to French society, but have both the society to higher levels and economical. And we have to prove them that one can and should raise above the other only based on quality of their work without any discrimination. As the Holy Quran does not allow discrimination based on race, nationality, religion, and more clear equality of all humans by stating all mankind equated you from the male and female the Holy Quran chapter 49 verse 14 and we have to encourage workers to respect each other's differences the Holy Prophet said an Arab have, has no security over a non-Arab nor a non-Arab has any security over an Arab also, a white has no superiority over a black, nor a black has any superiority over a white, except by safety and good action. So, it is our duty as a young Ahmadi Muslim to show them that Islam teach us that no matter what race a person is, everyone is equal. And Islam also teaches us to be kind and to respect and love everybody. So it is important for our future generations, so that they don't face discrimination in the workplace due to the
1: cultural minority. Feza, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's it's uh, um, clear that you, uh, um, you know, I've done a lot of research on this topic and uh, your experiences as well. Um, having lived and studied in France, um, you know, it's 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 been Tough for you. W- w- are you Are you based in France now? Are, are you or are you back here in the UK? Uh, I live in. Sorry, I I missed that visa. You say that again, please. I
3: live in.
1: You live in France, still, yeah? And what are you What are you doing education study uh, What education study wise at the moment? Are you Are you still studying, or are you now in the workplace?
3: I'm still. you studying in uh, university
1: Uh uh-huh okay and what's your plan after you finish your studies are you looking to try and get a job in France have you been how have you been affected by the um, what you've been told about how hard it's going to be for you in the workplace in France Um,
3: yes I have done some internships and uh, like that I have said that uh, uh, often people say that you wear a job so it's difficult for you to A work here or get an internship. So all I have faced these problems through my internship.
1: Okay, okay. So you've actually personally experienced through your internship these issues. So you, yes. in a way, you know what to expect when you get into the workplace. Yes. Okay. Well, look, I, I, I will. Uh, I'm sure you need no encouragement or motivation, but I'm sure that you will um, um, be resilient and 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 you'll try anyway so i wish you all the well uh, i wish you yes. well in everything that you and uh, everything that you do and thank you so much for joining us on the breakfast show this morning
3: Before
1: for Okay. you know okay alaikum
0: like right uh, that's uh, uh been very interesting a uh, particular conversation
1: yeah 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 it's uh fast it's a, first of all inspiring to speak to someone that's uh uh, so young, but so eloquent, and a testimony to um obviously uh, her and her parents, and also, you know, um for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, it's nice it's 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 to see that we have life devotees um, hmm. like that who are uh, getting that sort of education, especially young girls, yeah getting that sort of education so that they can make a meaningful contribution to to society and to the to the world.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, uh, very much so. Um, we we hope to be speaking to uh, uh, another one of our uh, experts, another one of our guests uh, later on during the course of the program. But that's probably going to be, if it does happen, it's going to be after the uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, after the eight o'clock news. Shri is the one that um, we were hoping to speak to, uh, but we'll see how we we get on. Um, is you, any? Yeah, go on.
1: You asked me what was the question you asked me before.
0: Oh, I've asked you many questions. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm, no, it's just about uh, this this uh, prejudice in inverted commas that uh, you seem to to observe in your sector of employment mm. that doesn't uh, I, I didn't, exist elsewhere.
1: No, and it's interesting, um, um, if we have enough time before the news. I found that, you know, we've had a lot of... Um, We've had the um, diversity, equality and diversity before it was um, actually only focused on mostly on race, on sex, on disability. Um, And what I've found is now, you know, we have the we have sexual uh, identity, we have gender identity and we have the, you know, the, the we have the movement, you know, we have we have the kind of gay and transsexual movement happening as well. And it's interesting because what that's what what I do feel in a strange way, there's been a there's been a positive impact on the equality and diversity agenda in that people have become far more aware of equality and diversity in the workplace. Um, and there's been a, a real effort to make sure that nobody is being discriminated against, whether it's because of their gender or sexuality mm. or mm. race or, or mm. what have you. And I think that I think generally, workplaces have become more open. Workplaces have become more open, more fairer, and there's actually been a move to be more inclusive, mm. and mm. To, to be more accommodating of people who have uh, uh, who faith and mm. their beliefs as well. Hmm. Um, and we've seen the other more yeah.
0: but no I was going to say that it's a subconscious element isn't it I mean so uh, we recognise that there, there is potential for discrimination on the basis of difference uh, uh, and we are taught not to uh, lend ourselves to that kind of discrimination yeah. but then when you see the kind of uh, results that uh, or, or the analysis of uh, what actually is the result of uh, what is happening in the workplace, then uh, it means that there is an element of uh, of prejudice that is there, perhaps not conscious, yeah. but uh, subconscious, and that needs to be uh, that but also needs to be.
1: I mean, there's about. other elements of the study that we can talk about after the news because there's also the likelihood of Muslims going into the the workplace. There's the the trend for um, um, more women to perhaps stay to stay at home, finish bringing up the children, and then go into the workplace. Mm. I mean, personally, you know, I've, I've personally experienced that as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that'll be interesting to talk about.
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. sure. sure. So anyway, the uh, the eight o'clock news beckons, so we'll mm-hmm. have to break off. Uh, For a couple of minutes. Uh, Don't go away. There's going to be a small interlude after that. Uh, There will be the 8 o'clock news, and we'll be returning back soon.
2: A shed and a shed and a shed Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio.
0: Peace, be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the uh, Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam on uh, Friday, the 26th of August 2022, uh, with myself, Walid Ahmed, and also Mr. Ali Khan. Uh, As uh, we were discussing uh, before the uh, break, uh, this particular story about low employment rate of UK Muslims due to uh, Muslim penalty. This is according to, or this is the title of the study that we were actually trying to um, explore. Uh, We were speaking to uh, uh, earlier on with... uh, Uh, somebody who is studying in France, uh, uh, Fiza Aswal, studying uh, languages in France and about her experience uh, regarding this uh, particular issue. Uh, And we hope to be uh, speaking Uh, to another contributor soon. Um, In the meantime, uh, I can just uh, mention some of the Islamic um, aspects to this. Of course, Islam uh, does not in any way or form uh, encourage um, discrimination, quite uh, clearly um, condemns it. Um, And uh, there is uh, this famous uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Uh, which um, calls for equality uh, of uh, the whole of humankind. Uh, The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in his favour sermon is supposed to have said that no Arab is superior to a non-Arab and no coloured person Uh, is superior to a white person, nor a white person is superior to a colored person. The only differences uh, that may emerge between them is on the basis of taqwa, basis of righteousness. In other words, it's your conduct that counts, uh, not uh, your color or ethnic origin and that was clearly expressed by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, 1400 years ago. Uh, a remarkable teaching uh, when you think about it being um, being revealed, uh, being uh, promoted uh, all those years ago. Something that we've only now uh, been uh, caught up to in the Western world. Um, there's also a lot of um, evidence that can be found in uh, the uh, Holy Quran. Regarding uh, negating uh, the uh, negating prejudice on the basis of uh, ethnicity, uh, we are told, for instance, that uh, do not dispute uh, with the followers of the book except those of them who act unjustly. Ju- unjustly. We believe in that which has been revealed to us and revealed to you and our God and your God is one and to him do we submit. So on the basis of religion there should be no there should be no discrimination and in fact tolerance towards non Muslims within Islamic societies um stems from the Holy Prophet's teaching. Uh, that all people of the book should be treated with respect. Uh, and that this meant that followers of other monotheistic religions who uh, religions have uh, a sacred test given to them by God and uh, at the time inc- um, included uh, Jews and Christians. So if uh, this kind of tolerance is uh, being given to them, then that uh, is also... Uh, by example to be extended to people of other faiths as well. So there is much uh, in the Holy Quran about uh, trying to rid uh, um, society of uh, prejudice. There is also that famous verse in Surah Hujarat about uh, not do not deride deriding anyone uh, because uh, they are different do not deride one another perchance they may be better than you the holy quran says and do not call each other by nicknames so what the holy quran is uh, trying to engender within society is tolerance is acceptance Uh, is an absence of discrimination so that uh, all our uh, uh, conduct is uh, pursued, is uh, enacted um, on on merit and on what is um, the um, um, goodness of a person, rather than uh, his or her origin or ethnicity. So uh, this um, is something that needs to be uh, remembered, something that we need to remind uh, ourselves Uh, that uh, Islam 1400 years ago in fact uh, uh, made great headway in uh, ridding societies, ridding communities of uh, of prejudice and that uh, it was uh, very much ahead of its time and something that we're only now catching up to. Right, Um, now we um, are hoping that uh, we'll be joined uh, by our next contributor very very soon uh until uh, we get uh that uh, call connected let me just uh um, um, treat you to um a short interlude uh it's about um uh prayer and the importance of prayer uh as um our listeners will know that uh Uh, Muslims uh, are supposed to uh, offer their five daily prayers and one of them is uh, in the early hours of the morning, something that uh, some may find difficult to observe. But this is a a short uh, uh, clip that uh, illustrates uh, the importance of that uh, particular prayer. Hazrat (laughs) Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, narrates that the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said, Satan ties three knots at the back of the head of any of you when he falls asleep. On every knot, he professes and exhales the following words. The night is long, so stay asleep. When one wakes up and remembers Allah, one knot is undone. And when he performs ablution, the second knot is undone. And when one prays, the third knot is undone. And he gets up in the morning, energetic, with a pure heart. Otherwise, he gets up feeling lethargic with a mischievous heart. Peace, be upon you. Good morning. Uh, welcome back to the Breakfast Show, The Wais of Islam, with uh, Ali Khan and myself, them at The time is 10 minutes past eight, and it's Friday, the 26th of August, 2022. Uh, and we are discussing uh, still this particular topic uh, employment rate of UK Muslims due to Muslim penalty. Um, that's a low employment rate, and that's uh, according to one particular study. Um, Right, um, uh, let's uh, move on uh, with this, continue with this particular topic. Um, and um, and we, we're hoping to be joined by, by another contributor very, very soon. But until then, uh, uh, Mr. Ali Khan. Um, They'll have to listen to us. Yeah, they have to listen to us, or they have to bear us. okay. They have to well, bear yeah. Us. Yeah. well, what are your, uh, any other further, further thoughts about this uh, particular aspect? Yeah. I know you mentioned what the your the woes that you suffered in your workplace, but uh, <laughs> do you feel that the society generally is accepting of of uh, Muslims? Or?
1: I think I think I think the thing is is that I, it would be ro- it would be wrong to say uh, woes that I suffered in my workplace. I felt that I felt, I, 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 I and mean, we talked about things are improving. I felt that my faith was accepted. Um, for example, when. We, um, you know, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we do a lot of fundraising for uh, British causes um, because it's part of, obviously, you know, we believe that it's a part of our, essential part Mm. of our faith. Um, And uh, whenever I would, I would get involved in, uh, whenever I would try, being trying to raise money, whenever I'd be doing anything for charity, um, and I would be uh, promoting the fact across my organization that I'm doing this, it's because... Of my faith, it's part, I'm part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, I would get a lot of support. I would get a lot of recognition. So it wasn't that I. It wasn't that I felt. This is what I was trying to say: is I, I didn't feel like there was um, Islamophobia in my workplace, but I knew, I I, I knew that there uh, there was an element of institutional Islamophobia racism that pr- meant I would never. I wasn't able to progress further. Mm. I wasn't able to um, c- truly embed myself into the into the kind of in the in group. You know, I wasn't able to uh, uh, endear myself to the senior leadership team. To to be able to do that, I would have I would have had to have uh, attended and taken part in all the social events. And I think that it's it's that it's a different kind of discrimination. It's 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 more about inequality um, of opportunity. Uh, rather than actually outright discrimination, mm-hmm. and and I think that maybe it's the perception of that that actually also prevents some Muslims from going into the workplace. That and especially with some uh, with a lot of Muslim women, they may be thinking that if I go into the workplace, I am going to experience difficulties, um, and that may be a barrier that prevents them from going into the workplace. You know, one good thing to celebrate about. Um, um you know about british muslims is a number of them that go into enterprise and entrepreneurship and business That uh, that's um may also be a, a reason um we also find that um and again i'm sorry I don't have the figures mm. but the the birth rate um amongst um muslim the muslim population in the u k is probably A little bit as a percentage is probably a little bit more than in the non-Muslim population. Why is that relevant? Well, because I mean, there's more mothers. There's more mothers who won't be in the workplace um, while they're pregnant or while they've got young children. It's something that they. I mean, like my own wife Mm. waited. You know, she delayed going into the workplace until after our children were all. Mm-hmm. at school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that 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 is some, that that may also be a trend that's relevant. And um that may also be a trend that that's relevant. So, I think I think it's I don't think, you know, it's all about it's all about discrimination. Um I think there is a sense of there is an equality of opportunity question. Um going back to this study, um you know, going back to this study because it's a ve- it's very interesting uh study. Um the research used 10 years of data from 100,000 participants from the annual UK Household Longitudinal Survey which gathers information on people's socioeconomic situation. Uh, Sveda Sweda Metwali found that who is again just to go back she was the doctoral researcher who carried out this research uh, at the University of uh, Bristol. Um She found that sociocultural variables such as gender attitudes, language proficiency, and the extent of inter- and intra-ethnic social ties are not a convincing source of the unexplained ethno-religious differences in the labor market participation and unemployment amongst Muslim men and women. The study also found that perceived Muslimness, people perceived to be Muslim even though they are not, was found to have one of the highest chances of unemployment where Arab men of no religion were among those with the highest likelihood of unemployment or inactivity. The researcher also concluded that Islamophobia is multidimensional and relates to colour, religion, culture, country of origin, where discrimination can occur against any of these dimensions. Um, He concluded that there is both a Muslim and black penalty at play in the British job market, and that this study confirms previous studies. The findings in this study are also in accordance with what the Government Social Mobility Commission found in 2017, that Muslims are being excluded, discriminated against, or failed at all stages of their transition from education to employment. Taken together, these contributory factors Uh, have profound implications for social mobility, (coughs) said Professor Jacqueline Stevenson of Sheffield Hallam University, which led that study. At the time, in 2017, Stevenson had told The Guardian that the research highlighted routine examples of Muslim men and women failing to secure jobs that were commensurate with their skills and qualifications. The research involved a series of in-depth focus groups across the country through which young Muslims shared their experiences. One woman in Liverpool said her father had suggested changing her name to help get her job. A female respondent in High Wycombe referred to hearing comments such as he looked, ev- he looked very Muslim or look at her, she's got a scarf. On another, they said they felt that when white children went to school they might fear getting bullied, but the thought would definitely occur to all ethnic minority children. At the time, Alan Mil- 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 Milburn, the former cabinet minister who headed the government-sponsored Social Mobility Commission in 2017 said the research painted a disturbing picture and he said The British social mobility promise is that hard work will be rewarded. Unfortunately for many young Muslims in Britain today, this promise is being broken. He said at the time and called for action by the the government, communities, educators and employers. However, the evidence shows no such action was taken and Islamophobia in the job market is left to fester. I mean, I've been trying to paint a better picture. My experience has been better. I have many friends whose experience has also been better. But I guess the moral of the story, the lesson is that even if there are exceptions and we are seeing improvements, according to the data and and studies that are being carried out by the government themselves and in academia, there is a disparity. There is a problem.
0: Certainly. Do you think that this has come about because of our um, uh, irresponsible coverage of uh, extremism that takes place where... Is uh, being portrayed in the media and in certain sections of society, the extremist activity that is perpetrated is uh, characterised as uh, a norm for Muslims. Do you think that's something that has contributed to this kind of prejudice that exists?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, not 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 just the media. I keep I keep going back to. Comments have also been made by other public figures about women in burqas and hijabs, and as well, Um, not least our current prime minister. So yes,
0: but yes, but they in themselves are um, are relatively innocuous. Uh, The fact is that if um, Muslims are characterised, all Muslims are characterised with the acts of a few extremists, and doesn't that um, uh, fuel uh, prejudice yeah. against that community.
1: I think most fair-minded people would agree that there was a conscious effort by the media to, um, to 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 give to to train the British public to be wary of someone with a long beard or a or a headscarf. And start to be associated with extremism mm. and terrorism. Mm. Yes, it's yeah. it's almost like if you, if you've got to if you were if you're if you're, I think, even in fair-minded circles, I think that people I think that people understand the difference between, um, people people will accept that, uh, terroris- that, that you know terrorists who call themselves Muslims, are, or who have. Uh, Extremist views, significant extremist views, which are um, uh, on the on the extent to which um, you know um, they share those, they share, they sympathise with terrorists. There's a you know there's there's an accept there's an acceptance that that forms um, that's not the majority of Muslims. Mm. I think you know people do understand that whatever figure they want to put at it, ten percent. 5%, 15%, 20%, there've been various figures thrown out there. Whatever that figure is, people accept that the majority of Muslims are peaceful and not extremists. The problem is, what does an extremist look like?
2: Mm,
1: mm. Right? So is you know is someone that you would that someone that you would consider to be a peaceful muslim? What does a peaceful muslim look like? And what does an extremist muslim look like?
0: Mm, mm
1: if 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 your only if your only way of defining a muslim is that they wear, have a beard they're a person of color who has a beard and they're wearing a headscarf mm. then you will categorize and stereotype everyone that you see yeah as that yeah yeah you know so mm. yeah I think the answer to your question is yes
0: yeah no, okay right um but but things i think are changing i mean um i I mean, the recent attack on uh, Mr. Rashdi was not uh, characterized in the same way, although the whole uh, Iranian nation was somehow uh, attempted to be uh, complicit in it. But otherwise, uh, Muslims were spared uh, that um, their tarnishing with the act of a sole cul- culprit. Um, that wouldn't have been the case uh, ten years ago. I think then um, I think that the coverage would have been quite different. Yeah. So there is a sense of maturity that we are observing, uh, particularly in the media and uh, in other sections, where um, the actions, the extremist actions of an individual, are not uh, being characterised as typical of uh, what a whole community would uh, would endorse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we do have to go on, um, get on, and uh, move on to a second topic or main topic. It's about the brain, something that I'm sure that um, you you're very good at. So, <laughs> what's this about then? So, so this story is
1: about why the human mind is not designed to stay awake past midnight.
0: Have you got teenagers? Yet? I have two teenagers. Oh, okay, and a and a. Sorry. Oh right. So you got yeah. well, well I, <laughs> Anyway, I have, I, should, I, have, I have you have my sympathies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I have this uh, this debate. I actually have this debate um I've had this debate with my daughter in the past. She's she's a she's a hard working student and I, I often question the the I question the validity in, of of her studying late in the night. She, she you know, she's in the past she's tended not to Study in the earlier part of the evening or the later part of the afternoon, but late into the night, she's working very, very hard. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes till you know one, two in the morning, I'm having to stop her from studying. Oh. And um, and in, in a way, I feel generally now, not talking about my own daughter, that it seems to me that teenagers, especially at that time of the night, um, it's so normalised that everybody is up that at their age that they actually they actually um they don't they don't feel tired i i i i I get that Mm. because psychologically and we'll come on to what the study is i you know i need to need to but i I think maybe um when you're when you're when you're psychologically uh where it's when it's built into you that your day starts early and finishes early then you will naturally be more alert those times. You'll be more driven and motivated during those times. And you'll be winding down in the evening, getting yourself ready for rest. Mm, mm. But it seems like a lot of our teenagers are wired in a way mm, mm. where they're very, very active and alert at that time of yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. And they want to be doing yeah, stuff.
0: Yeah. I was told by my son that uh, you, you don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> the, going to bed at 10 o'clock is, 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 not, is not late. In fact, it's not late uh, till well after midnight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he was quite adamant in that. Um, at yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, two o'clock is not late. No. Two o'clock in the morning is not late. Oh, exactly. Mm. Everybody we, we seem to have had the same debate. Everybody yeah. is awake at that time. Yeah. He was saying yes. Mm. Um, so yeah, we were having uh, yes, um, we were having difficulty in trying to defend mm. our corner in that respect. Anyway, uh,
1: what, what does this study so say this, then? So this review, a new review. Suggest that the brain is not designed to be active after midnight. Physiological changes at night, such as neuro, um, neuronal activity, are linked with behavior disruption. Um, Circadian uh, rhythms also play a key role in nocturnal brain function. Still, many people may find them more productive or creative at night, while others may have jobs that require them to work at night. Further research is needed to explore the effects of nighttime activity on mental and physical health. So, most people have been tempted to stay up late at some point in their lives. Um, Others may have to work late, often past midnight, due to the nature of their job. But this new research review, recently published in the journal Frontiers in Network Psychology, suggests that staying awake past midnight m- midnight may have implications that stem beyond needing an extra cup of coffee the next day. In fact, the study authors suggest that the mind simply isn't designed to be awake into the wee hours of the night. While prior studies have explored the effects of sleep deprivation on cognition, this new research has focused more specifically on what happens to the human brain when it's awake past midnight. And the resulting mind after midnight hypothesis states that the mind isn't set up to operate as it does in the daytime and as a result we're more likely to make impulsive and risky decisions. In the new review researchers analyzed a large number of studies investigating the effects of nocturnal behavior on the mind and how the body's circadian rhythm might influence brain function. The paper revealed that numerous psychological activities occur in the brain Sorry, numerous physiological activities occur in the brain when awake during nighttime, which contribute to poor cognition. The authors highlight that being awake during the night is associated with an increased risk of suicide and self-harm, engaging in violent behaviors, the use of alcohol and illicit substances, higher food intake. And according to researchers, our molecular levels, neuronal activities and responsivity are attuned to our usual behavior of wakefulness during the day. And at nighttime, these same parameters are attuned to the usual behavior of sleep. If we are awake at these times, neurophysiology is prone to foster behavior dysregulation, especially when these Time of day effects are combined with sleep loss or disruption. The study authors wrote. I, I, I could just imagine you and me standing there, yeah. really, repeating this research to our, to 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 our to <laughs> yeah. our to our teenage children. But even personally, I can think of times where I've stayed up late um, at night to study or to work, and and I can remember, and I, and I, and I, you know, there's this thing about sometimes you're staring at something. It doesn't matter how. Hard, you're staring at it, or you're trying to. You can't make sense of it. And 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 you know, there's a there's a there's a it's a commonly accepted ph- phenomenon that you should just look at it again the next morning. And and in the end, if you keep trying to do something um, late at night when you're tired um, and you're physio- you're physiologically not geared to be up at that time, you're going to make mistakes. <clears throat> you know, you're going to make mistakes. And I, this is what this study is is saying that decision making. You know, there's one side of it which means that you're more likely to get up to no good. You're left to your devices, you're more likely to become susceptible to things like suicide and self-harm, engaging in violent behavior. But, you know, use of alcohol and illicit substances, those are quite serious, but even higher food intake. How many times have we, th- have we seen, you know, if you're up late at that night, you become hungry, mm. you're trying to keep your energy levels up, you go down to the fridge, you open the yeah. fridge, you see what's in the fridge.
0: Yeah. You know, I get a delivery <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. The yeah. delivery
1: or Uber eats app. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: so yeah. No, no, yes, yeah, that's very true.
1: But there right. is, but there is also a twenty-four hour economy for people who have to who work at night, and we've seen the the need for the tube, for example, and underground. You know, to maintain a night service. You know, night buses. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of jobs that people do that require. Uh, overnight work and and shift work. Um, some people don't have a choice, but actually, you know, it's. I, I think it's also medically proven that if you do work nights or if you do shift work, it's 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 not as good on your on your body yeah, or your well being. No, it's hard. No.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, there's a there's a related. I mean, it's you know, there's, it's one thing to to stay up late uh, after after midnight. Um, but it's, uh, another ma, another thing. If you don't, uh, if you're not able to catch up with, uh, with your lost sleep, um, I was looking, uh, at the times, uh, the day before and, um, it was, it, it was reporting on another study that, uh, mentioned the fact that, um, we, or suggests that we tend to be more selfish and less willing to help others uh when when uh, when we don't uh, we don't sleep enough, and this was a study done at the University of california Berkeley, and they found that just a single night of sleep loss uh, broke down altruism and triggered the withdrawal of health from individual to another and the theory is that uh, exhaustion deactivates the part of our brain that makes us uh, pro-social. Uh, the study was published uh, online in journal uh, Plus Biology and um, added that poor sleep across several nights leads to reductions in the choice to help others doing day-to-day interactions. And the study also said that inadequate sleep represents a significant influential force determining whether humans choose to help one another. So that was an interesting study. And, and you mentioning about, uh, I think you may have alluded to health when you were... Uh, talking about this issue about not going to bed early. But <clears throat> a lack of sleep, uh, we are told, again, this is scientific research that uh, is suggesting this, uh, can lead to an increased risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, and can make it harder to lose weight, um, certainly so because of what we mentioned earlier about uh, getting in snacks and deliveries, Uh, but it can also affect a person's relationship and the way they interact with society at large. The willingness of humans to help each other has been one of the most powerful forces coupling uh, modern civilizations, but uh, researchers uh, found, and this was the study I was mentioning uh, a few minutes ago, uh, that this study found that just a single night of sleep loss breaks down the altruism and triggers uh, the withdrawal of help from one individual to another. So um, it has more harm than perhaps meets the eye. But as you said, um, uh, if uh, one leaves uh, what one may be working on and goes to sleep, then uh, you can come back the next day, look at it, and uh, have the solution already in your mind, uh, perhaps something that has been uh, we uh, run over uh, subconsciously while you're sleeping. Anyway, is there anything else that I mean? We did. Uh, shall we listen to a clip uh, now? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a few things I I want to mention, but after the
0: after the clip. After, yeah. Yes, we spoke to uh, um, uh, Sanjay Patel, Professor Sanjay Patel, uh, who is at the University of uh, Pittsburgh. But here's a brief introduction of him and what he had to say. We're in the company of uh, Professor Sanjay R Patel on the line. Uh, he is a physician scientist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and directs the Sleep Medicine Clinical Program at the University of Pittsburgh uh, at its medical center. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, uh, Professor Patel. Uh, Let me begin uh, by asking you, uh, to, for the benefit of our listeners, would you like to explain, uh, as a beginning, the main difference between the human mind and the brain?
2: Certainly. So the brain is the physical part of the body that where the nerves are and where we think. The mind is really what the brain does. So it's our emotions, our memories, our learning, um, sensing the world, our consciousness, awareness of our surroundings. Mm
0: -hmm. And we're discussing, uh, we're looking at uh, a study that suggests that um, we are not uh, programmed to sleep uh, beyond midnight. I don't know to what extent that's true. But uh, to try and understand that, can you tell us uh, which part of the brain is responsible for sleep?
2: Certainly. So there are actually two different types of sleep, what we call rapid eye movement or REM sleep and non-rapid eye movement or non-REM sleep. And non-REM sleep is, I think, what most of us think of as sleep, the stage of sleep where we're relatively inactive and our brain is, for the most part, resting. And that stage of sleep is really controlled by the hypothalamus and uh, sort of a primitive part of the brain that also controls things like hunger and thirst. The rapid eye movement sleep is primarily controlled by parts of the brain uh, even deeper down in the brain stem and that's the stage of sleep where we dream Mm
0: -hmm. and uh, which part of the brain actually controls uh, sleep then
2: so for the non-REM sleep the most important area of the hypothalamus is a, a, a bunch of nerves called the Ventralateral preoptic area. Uh-huh. And when those nerves turn on, it leads to uh, other parts of the brain, especially the cortex, the parts of the brain where we sense and think that become relatively inactive.
0: Okay. Um, and is it um, true that the way that we are programmed is that those particular Areas, the pre-optic area you mentioned, get turned on uh, uh, before uh, midnight? We're not supposed to be uh, sleeping after midnight. Oh, we should be sleeping after midnight.
2: So one of the big controllers of when we're asleep and when we're awake is our circadian rhythm. Uh, it's sort of a cycle that controls when we're awake and when we're asleep, as well as a lot of other body rhythms and there's an area in the brain the suprachiasmatic nucleus that keeps us on a daily schedule so that we have a habit of kind of doing things at the same time Mm. and one of the main drivers that keeps that part of the brain in sync is exposure to light and so in prehistoric times where we didn't have electricity Daylight hours would sort of regulate that circadian clock in our brain, and that in turn would control when the hypothalamus would activate to start sleep.
0: So the circadian uh, the circadian clock um, is adjustable. Is that is that would that be an accurate statement? Depending on our environment. So
2: certainly, yeah. Yeah, so certainly light is one of the most important stimuli, and all of us have probably, who've traveled by plane to other time zones, Mm -hmm. have adjusted our sleep schedules to the light exposure in the new place that we're at.
0: Right. So so when we sleep, uh, and when we uh, remain awake, is not something that uh, can be construed to be natural. It can be Uh, change depending on on your circumstances is that right
2: right that's correct so there is a genetic component in terms of how long our clock is and so there's a molecular mechanism inside our nerves that regulates that clock and some people tend to be a little bit shorter than 24 hours and some people a little bit longer and if you tend to be longer, then on average, you tend to go to sleep later. And if you tend to be shorter, you tend to be more go to sleep earlier and wake up earlier. Mm-hmm. But to a large extent, we regulate that by the environmental exposure we put ourselves in.
0: Okay. Now, uh, how is it that uh, these circadian rhythms change during uh, life? Um, youngsters teenagers particularly uh, are known to uh, sleep late or go to bed late and get up very late uh, that's not the case with uh, more mature uh, adults uh, why does that take uh, why is that difference is that um, why is that difference uh, occur
2: yes so you're exactly right uh, teenagers tend to have more delayed schedules where they don't feel tired until later at night and then want to sleep in later. And older adults tend to do the opposite, where they tend to go to bed earlier and mm. wake up earlier. The exact mechanism for why within the same individual their clock changes over time, I don't think we fully understand yet. All right. Um,
0: is there any benefit to? Uh, organize your waking up and going to bed according to the um, to, according to natural circumstances, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, as opposed to the clock, getting up at eight o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning for work, uh, going to bed at eight o'clock in the or ten o'clock in the evening, uh, as many people do, as opposed to regulate our day according to uh, natural uh, sources, the, the sun?
2: I don't know that there's any evidence that one is better than the other. Mm. I think it's clear that keeping a regular schedule is better than varying it so that on weekends you sleep later and then during the work week you sleep earlier. That clearly has been associated with health problems.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And certainly shifting where you work nights, some days, and then work days on, you know, other days has been associated with a lot of health problems. But whether you keep that regular schedule based on sunlight or based on sort of other environmental exposures like work requirements, I don't know that there's a big difference, especially in northern climates where the the timing of uh, sunrise changes so much between summer and winter. Um, that actually adds some variability. Uh
0: Okay. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. I I wish we could talk for longer. But thank you very much for coming on, Professor uh, Sanjay Patel. uh, And I wish you all the best in the future. Right, so that was uh, Dr. Uh, Sanjay Patel, Director of Sleep Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh uh, and also Professor of Medicine and Translational Science at the same university. Uh, uh, Brother Ali Khan, you had something to say. I know you well, were interesting. Well, it, well it, was <laughs> it wasn't quite good. Before we before we played that clip,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know, you're setting me up now. Yep. It's going to be hard hard to follow. Um mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting what um, the professor was saying. In that, he said that children seem to be built uh, these days to uh, to want to be able to, or able to, stay up later mm. at night. Mm. Um, so that that was, I think, I think that that was interesting because that kind of explains why they feel why they're so intent on being able to do so, and why they feel they can. I think it's just the challenge for us is to persuade them through logic and reason. Uh, he says, smiling, that it's it's better that you don't. It's better for your body that you don't. You are just more productive. You're just more productive in the morning. I mean, the number of times I've compared trying to get a load of work done in the late hours of the night with actually sitting down at my desk or six or six or seven o'clock in the morning, and that two or three hours in the morning between kind of seven and eight, six a.m. and nine a.m., the amount of work that you can get done your mind is fresh um, there's not as many other distractions going on um, the phone isn't ringing you know you, you, you're you know maybe not distracted by messages and stuff coming in um, you're far more productive and you're, you feel fresher and we know that physiologically your body is more attuned to to being productive at that time so that's I think it's, it's about convincing young people that of the merits of that approach Mm. Um, but it's hard when it's commonly, it's hard when they, it's hard when it's almost like it's culturally inbuilt in them now that having to wake up at 6am or 7am in the morning is, is not normal. It's, Mm. it's early. Mm. It's an unearthed, it's a, it's a, it's a deathly hour. You know, that, that is, that is, you know, whereas, I mean, we're probably used to having to go to work at that time you know and and and, mm. and it's actually training youngsters again that when you go to the world of work you're going to be you're going to be at that time of day you're going to be you know again you're going to be um you're going to be expected to be at work mm. so the, the the other thing that i found really interesting that was in our research is is you know i mentioned earlier this concept of circadian rhythms and I, I was asking myself what's a circadian K- rhythm um so the body has four Different rhythms that help it function, one of which is circadian. And our circadian rhythm essentially tells us when to wake up and when to wind down. And uh, this uh, organization called Healthline, that was behind this research, they say that the human body's circadian rhythm is essentially the control center for our sleep and wake cycle. And this is D. O'Neill, a licensed professional counselor in Texas who specializes in brain science. Various factors can impact circadian rhythm, such as blue light emitted from screens. In our modern lifestyles, we tend to be overly exposed to light for more hours of the day than our evolutionary brain likely needs, O'Neill added although most humans experience a similar circadian rhythm, it can differ between individuals teenagers tend to experience a natural delay in their circadian rhythms during adolescence which is why they have no trouble staying up until midnight and then struggle to get up at 7am for school in addition it's thought that there are four chronotypes or different circadian rhythms that are influenced by everything from genetics and the environment to gender and to age This this I think explains a lot um, it's interesting my my, uh, um, you know my um, uh, wife actually shared an article with my children yesterday um, about some research that's been done to put your phone in the other room whenever you are deep in work and according to this study um, the mere presence of a smartphone can lower your brain capacity um, you don't even need to be uh, uh, to be using it so there's there's an effect of on your smartphone, it, it reducing your available cognitive capacity. But also, this study is showing that especially at night, when you're using your smartphone or when you're looking at a when you're looking at a screen, you're you're being um, exposed to this blue light, which we're now which we can see um, this this exposure to this light is 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 going to affect your circadian rhythm.
0: Okay. All right, and so that's going to affect your your sleep, sleeping pattern. Is it? Is that what? what are you are concluding from well, there? It's
1: it's 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 really interesting, isn't it? Because you know your body, um, um, if the ideals the ideal place to be the ideal place to be is where you don't need an alarm clock, right? Um, and you're not forcing yourself to get up. If you listen to your body, if you listen to your body. Um, and if you're in the right rhythm, if you listen to your body and you start feeling tired at nine, ten o'clock in the evening, you pray, you know, you you pray your evening prayer and you go to sleep. And then in the morning, you naturally wake up because you've had the seven or eight hours of sleep that you needed. You naturally wake up for prayer without needing for an alarm clock. And then you start, you you have some breakfast, you you read some, you know, sorry, you read some Quran, you you, you know, you have some breakfast, you start your day. And you get into this natural cycle and your 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 that rhythm that you're in that natural rhythm that you're in your body is automatically telling you when to wake up and to wind down you're not forcing your body to do anything unnatural that's the best state to be in that's that's what this research is telling us mm, mm. yeah obviously I've added the bits in about prayer and yeah. which is obviously you yeah. know things that we believe in yeah uh, but those are also very you know I think those are also very important parts mm, of your rhythm mm. we're we're told not, to, you know, advised not to do anything after our even evening prayer, and, mm. and, um, um, and 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 there's there's a lot of wisdom in that. Mm. It's mm. you know, it's it's not it's not um, you know, it's not because it's boring mm.
2: <laughs> to be no. a Muslim. No. It's
1: because no. it's 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 your your body naturally at that point should be winding down, so go mm. to sleep mm. and wake up early in the morning for your early morning prayer. There's obviously benefits, you know, there's benefits to that um, spiritually, but also it's a great time to start your day.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. No, 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 this is very interesting. I think that the other thing that came out from that uh, discussion that we had with uh, Dr. Patel was that um, uh, there seems to be some natural impulse uh, that is working behind the scenes where um, teenagers tend to feel uh, alert uh, during the early hours of the morning and the same individual, later on in life would not feel the same way uh, uh, in their advanced years. Um, and that is something that he was saying that is not properly understood. But uh, maybe what you have said uh, may help uh, understanding that uh, that particular yeah. phenomena, why that changes.
1: Yeah. We, we we talked about you know Islam, and you know we we, we um we talk a lot on this show um about islam being an um a, a religion that provides you um with guidance for every aspect of your life yeah um and it being a holistic um a, a holistic uh way of life um now we we early you know we 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 we've talked we spent the last hour or half an hour talking about the fact that scientific research Uh, proves that going to sleep early when you're tired and waking up early and and, and that natural rhythm to be in is the best way to operate now early bedtime and early wake up uh, time is something that the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him encourage his companions um, uh, uh, by not encouraging them not to be involved in any activity after the darkness prayer which is around two hours after sunset the Holy Prophet said one should not sleep before the night prayer, nor have discussions after it. Additionally, Muslims are required to wake up for the early morning prayer, which we call Fajr, which is about one hour before sunrise. The Holy Prophet did not sleep after the Fajr prayer. In addition, the Holy Prophet told his companions that early morning work is blessed by God. Um. Islam has great interest in sleep, and the sleep is considered as one of the signs of the greatness of Allah. Sleep is mentioned frequently in the Holy Quran. For example, a well-known verse says, And among his signs is your sleep by night and by day, and your seeking of his bounty. Verily in that are signs for those who hearken. Verses, uh, verse thirty. Uh, chapter 23 verse 30 islam has clear instructions and guidance for followers about the nature of good sleep and advice muslims to follow the natural sleep patterns of going to sleep after sunset and offering and and waking up uh, for the fajr prayer and you know what we're learning now in science is telling us about the importance of sleep in recovery in, in 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 the regeneration of cells in recovering from physical activity recovering from exercise you know for for top athletes they talk about the importance of sleep for are recovering from illness, and and also just just generally long life, uh, the importance of sleep, um, and and again you know it's it's something that's mentioned in, in the holy Quran. We talked earlier about the circadian rhythm. Mm. The Quran frequently presents day and night as significant signs of the Creator, and it mentions the alternation of day and night in thirty-seven places, and in many places asks Muslims to observe the succession of night and day. For example, and he it is he who has made the night and day in a succession for whoever desires to remember or desires gratitude. Chapter 25, verse 62. In the Quran, the word night always precedes the word day and we have appointed the night and day as two signs. Then we have obliterated the sign of night with the darkness while we made the sign of the day illuminating. Chapter 17, verse 12. So all of these verses which are stressing the importance of the daily pattern of light and darkness and the cycle of night and day And describe these as a mercy from Allah. I think that's the key thing. It's the description of these things as a mercy from Allah, which leads us to ponder and reflect on what that means. Mm. And one interpretation of what that means is that we should be doing things that we're meant to be doing at night and things that we're meant to be doing at day and understanding the purpose of night and day. And the purpose of night, you know, we believe is to rest and to pray and the purpose of day is to stay active so you know this is why we encourage our children and um, why we're trying to train our children not to um, not to not to try and not to do things at night that they're meant to be doing during the day mm, mm. and we see here that this beautiful uh, synergy between religion and science
0: <laughs> yeah none of the way, very true, and that's not something uncommon we find it often mm. uh, with new research uh, confirming Teachings that uh, were revealed to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him 1,400 years ago.
1: Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Many examples. Many, many examples. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, what else can we, what else can we add to this? We haven't got any callers yet. I'm just waiting to see if my uh, screen lights up, but there's nothing there. 0208-687-7878 Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number. In case uh, our listeners have forgotten, uh, do get in touch, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK.
1: It's it's you know I think I think one of the things that we I mentioned earlier on is what about um, shift workers who work overnight? Uh, many people have to work past midnight and even overnight due to the nature of their jobs. And we we talked earlier about you know society becoming um, uh, 24 you know 24 7 we see the need for shops to open overnight many services to be provided overnight you yes
0: delivery drivers delivery
1: yeah. drivers <laughs> you know you, you you seem to have a particular bee in your bonnet about no, because late uh, night fast food
0: <laughs> yes because uh, my children tend to order uh, food at that time and uh, it's something that uh, uh, yes I'm, I'm not too i'm not too encouraged with mm.
1: Mm. According to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, around 15 million adults in the United States work night shifts or rotating shifts, meaning their brains have no choice but to be active past midnight. To help minimize any potentially negative effects, experts say maintaining sleep consistency when possible is vital. We are creatures of habit, Mednick said. The more consistent you can be between work days and non-work days is really important. Demonstrating the importance of sleep-awake consistency, a study from 2017 found that students who slept and woke at regular times, regardless of irregular hours, obtained better academic outcomes than those who had erratic or irregular sleep patterns. The recommendation is for eight hours of sleep for adults. People can choose in which hours of the day to obtain it, Clement said. Consolidated sleep is better than multiple shorter sleep episodes so again I, but it I, doesn't
0: say when does it yeah but again uh, I, I mean don't, don't you find when you look back that during your studies I mean I, I found that I, I tended to work better and study better late at night rather than uh, early in the morning or during the day uh, but uh, I mean since those uh, student days uh, and during my working life I think the opposite was true but things, uh, but that change of when you feel alert and when you feel most productive uh, happens uh, almost instinctively uh, within the same individual.
1: So, are you actually here defending teenagers now and saying that actually they do, f- they, they they are, they it's right for them to f- they they are more alert at night and that is when the best time for them to study. If that's the way that.
0: Well, I'm I'm achieved. just trying to rationalise it yeah. because uh, I'm on the losing end at the moment. So
1: I, I <laughs> I'm trying it's, to justify. I think it's down to time. I I I think if I'm going to be harsh, and even on myself, I I think that the reason the reason that very often that I was studying late at night was down to poor time management because I knew I had a deadline to reach the next day, and I hadn't done what I was meant to do in good time, and and you know the 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 Um, practice of then uh, that euphoria uh, of still getting something done even at the last minute and getting it done to a good standard by hard work and doing it the night night before or you know kind of normalizes it
0: Mm, mm. yes Uh, but I think that one thing that I do do impress upon my children is that if they are going to stay late then they shouldn't uh, sacrifice their morning prayer because of staying late and not being able to wake up uh, for that uh, important uh, uh, element of worship, um, but uh, to try and understand why they're up uh, in an unearth- on during an unearthly hour, and to persuade them not to do so is something that is uh, not easy to achieve.
1: Yeah, and, and and ordering and and ordering fast food mm-hmm. or eating sugary items at that time of the night, is, is all that's going to do is accept, upset your body's chemical balance, made it, make it harder for you to go to sleep. Mm. And and again, you know, we're, we're seeing research now, um, without getting into another topic so late into the show, but we're seeing research now that even shows the importance of of maintaining gaps between when you eat yeah. a certain number of hours, yeah. you know, uh, which, which is also important to allow mm. your body time yeah. to do what it needs to do.
0: Mm. Well, as you hinted, uh, we are coming to a close uh, of this uh, broadcast. Uh, We've been able to discuss a number of uh, issues, some uh, stories that uh, are current in the wider media and also we looked at two stories where we spent a bit more time on. One was about low employment rate of UK Muslims due to Muslim penalty. And the other one was why human mind, we were just discussing that a few seconds ago, is not designed to stay awake past midnight. And uh, we were uh, uh, we had the pleasure of speaking to Fizar Aswal and also to Mr. Sanjay Patel, Sanjay Patel We were able to deliver their uh, thoughts uh, to you. Uh, And uh, it leaves us also to thank uh, the producer, Farwa Mubasha, for the preparation of the show. She was assisted by researchers, Kutsi Ward, Neha Salia, Hannah uh, and Hannah Saiba. Akevan Nan made sure everything worked uh, well behind the scenes. So, salam Alaikum from me and salam Alaikum from Brother Ali Khan as well. Here's the 9 o'clock news.